Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast peeps? I got something very sexy for you today. <laughs> it's a podcast where I was the guest, not the uh, interviewer, or the interview. I was the interviewee. Uh, Tim Shore is his name. His podcast is called Be Mesmerizing. And I think this was really a great discussion. A lot of talk about the mindset for success, how we create limiting beliefs, things we do to self-sabotage ourselves, and how we break that cycle of self-sabotage and really manifest the kind of a prosperity and success you're looking for. So he asked some really penetrating questions, got some um, detailed uh, responses out of me, and I think there's just a lot of great content here for you. So enjoy, and then hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think. People are self-sabotaging themselves because they don't believe they're worthy. Here's the question. What's going on inside the minds of top achievers that cause them to make extraordinary breakthroughs both personally and professionally? My name is Tim Schur, and I invite you to join me as we take a deep dive into the unconscious mind and discover how to transform your biggest dreams into a reality. Welcome to the How to Be Mesmerizing podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to How to Be Mesmerizing. And today, I've got an amazing guest for you. Randy Gage is with us. Yeah, Randy. Now, this guy is a powerhouse. He's written so many amazing books. He's lectured and, and talked to over 2 million people. He's in the Speakers Hall of Fame. And this guy is a rock star, especially in the world of sales. He's got a new book out called Direct Selling Success. We're going to be talking about that. And we're going to take a few laps in this guy's mind and see how we can use the wisdom that he's collected over all these years to make your life mesmerizing. So, Randy, thanks so much for being on the program today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I guess I'll have to try really hard to be mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you got that down. That's why you're on this show. So... So you've been at this game for a long time. Was your passion always to travel around teaching sales techniques or what, what do you feel got you to where you are now? I became a professional speaker entirely by accident. Mm -hmm. I was in direct selling and I started doing a training for my team. I felt the first rank I think was supervisor. So I started a thing called supervisor school once a month. Mm -hmm. And then other groups started saying, hey, could we come to your thing? We hear you do this training on, you know, once a month. I'm like, yeah, you know, give us five bucks for the donuts and the meeting room. And, and then people started flying in from around the country. Then somebody asked me, what would it take if we flew you to, you know, Chicago and you did a, something for our team up there? Mm -hmm. And then, so I kind of backed into it. It was never, I didn't know there was such a thing as a professional speaker. Yeah. And then I ran to some challenges where I, I, you know, the company went through some legal issues and I thought, you know, I just can't even associate with these people. So I resigned my distributorship and I thought I'll just train people from other companies. And so I did that up until I was 40. Then I had my midlife crisis right on schedule. And I said, okay, I'm going to retire. I'm going to 
race cars and play softball and drink out of coconut. And then my dear, dear hero, a fellow named Bill Gove, who was the first president of the National Speakers Association, he was kind of like my adopted grandpa. And he said, we got to meet for lunch. And he told me, you have to be on the platform. And so I thought, and it kind of ate at me. And I was like crazy. I'd been retired for like nine months and I didn't know what to do with myself. Sure. So I came back into the profession of, of speaking, but I decided to do it more on the bigger picture stuff, the principles of prosperity. And so I just felt like that. And that's what I've done ever since. So now I'm kind of, I still have a lot of people from sales and direct selling. You mentioned my latest book that was, uh, you know, that's for those people. And then I also do the, the prosperity stuff. So uh, it's very, it was never anything I envisioned or planned. Although I will say I did envision that my goal was to create a business that I could run from anywhere in the world with a laptop under a palm tree in Tahiti or on the Champs-Élysées in Paris or, you know, staying in Prague or just being in Miami. And so in a sense, I did envision that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that laptop lifestyle is very uh, alluring. So, and that's exciting. So I'm, that brings up questions that I have about that. Um, let me ask you this first. So there's a lot of books out there on prosperity. And, you know, I've been studying that. I've interviewed people who are the authorities on this. And now you being one of them, what are a couple of tips that you would give that kind of cuts through a lot of that stuff? Because most people, you know, are driven by fear or greed, right? And so when they think of prosperity, they think, well, if I just make enough money, then I'll be good enough and then I'll be significant and then everything will be easy and my whole life will be a dream. And that is not how it works out. So can you offer a couple of nuggets from the things that you've learned from going through these places and traveling and living your laptop lifestyle and going through the midlife crisis that we go through sometimes many times? What are some nuggets that you would say that um, have held true through the years? Well, some basic foundational things to keep in mind. The only free cheese is in the mousetrap. So <laughs> if you want to be prosperous, stop looking for all the hacks and the shortcuts and the get rich quick stuff. Prosperity is created by solving problems and adding value. So if you will forget trying to look for all the hacks and just, okay, what's a way that I can add value and solve problems, you're much more likely to attract prosperity. Other things I would say is the, you alluded to it in the way you asked the question, which is the belief that, okay, money is going to solve all my problems or money is going to make me happy. Obviously, that is not true. The danger is you fall off the other direction, which is it's just money, you know, it's, it's just things. And then you go the other way. And that's not the healthiest part either. You know, the, the prosperity is very holistic. It's, it's health, happiness, spiritual grounding, uh, energy, and money and material things. So, 
And I believe, you know, at its ultimate, ultimate, ultimate level, everything is always energy vibrations. So including money. So money can be attracted or money can be repelled. So if we say, well, it's just money or it's just things, and a car just gets you from point A to point B, well, you could say that, but if you've ever driven one of my cars, you would never say that, right? You could say, well, it doesn't matter what hotel room you take. Once you turn off the light, they're all the same. You could say that. But then if you go to the resort in Tahiti where you have a bungalow over the water and you open the little trap door on the floor and you feed the fish underneath and you watch them and the water so crystal clear, you can see the bottom of the ocean, then you wouldn't say those things. You would start to appreciate that, okay, money and material things do have and can have a role in my overall prosperity. Mm -hmm. Well, they certainly create more opportunities and other experiences that you might not have otherwise. And so it also is, you know, it's the person you have to grow into and become in order to attract more of that energy and more of that money. And so a lot of times when people are saying, eh, that's not really not a big deal or they're downplaying it, it's because secretly they're not sure they could ever do it. And so it's easier to knock it down then to actually lean in and cause yourself to grow. So let me ask you this then. So you were going through those experiences and then you go through this midlife crisis, which I'm going to bring up because you did. All right. And then what do you think caused it and how did you get out of it? I think what caused it was there was no meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. I was very successful and I, like we talked about in, in a couple minutes ago, I thought that when I was rich, then everything would be perfect and I would be happy because yeah. I was poor. For people who don't know my story, I come from a single mother who raised three kids by herself, knocking on doors, selling Avon. Mm -hmm. And uh, I w we were poor and I hated being poor and I set a goal to become wealthy. I said, you know, one of my goals was to become a millionaire when I was 35 years old. And that's exactly the age I became a millionaire when I was 35. So I do believe in the power of intention and goals and those things. And then I became a multimillionaire. And I had all kind of sports cars and all kind of clothes and shoes and bling bling watches and $50,000 watches and $85,000 watches and $30,000 watches. I mean, I'm kind of a watch uh, a I had like a couple hundred of them. So I had all the bling bling, but it wasn't really doing it for me. And so when Bill and I had that lunch and he told me, you've got to get back on the platform, then I was kind of doing my soul searching as I do my cardio jogging in the morning. And that's when I thought, well, when I did the sales seminars, I was always trying to sneak the self-development stuff, the prosperity stuff in the back door because yes. I felt nobody would pay money to go to a seminar on how, you know, on prosperity. They want to know, how do I make a million dollars a year in direct selling? You know, how do I get a prospect's phone number? How do I make a compelling presentation? 
And so my belief, which was a, a bad one, was that, okay, people wouldn't, don't, they wouldn't really just go to a seminar on prosperity. So let's offer them a sales seminar and then you can sneak in the prosperity and success and the, the you know, character development stuff. Yes. Uh, and doing that soul searching after meeting with Bill, that's when I thought, no, wh wh why not? Why couldn't I just do the seminars and write the books and do the blogs on the subject that I fervently believe in, the one that I think is really important, which is it's all about the internal stuff, our, our personal development, our growth. Uh, and so that was the breakthrough for me because then I felt I had work that was meaningful. Yes. Um, and I don't claim that that figured it all out. You know, I, I'm now I'm like to say I'm now in my fourth midlife crisis, which I'm just going through at this moment um, because I'm always just reevaluating who I am and who I want to become. How do I become the highest possible version of myself? And what is that journey that takes me there? Yeah. Well, you know, the first part of, of uh, doing that is asking the right questions. You know, and those are the questions that you're asking yourself. How can I be a greater version of who I am? But then also, how can I really love and appreciate where I am right now? Because we always think we need to get somewhere else. And that's often the belief that's messing with us. You know, what is keeping you from feeling like you need to be somewhere else? Why can't you have that inner peace where you are right now and just continue to add more value? And so it always comes back to belief. So what you described was you had this belief that um, what you were doing in some way, it wasn't giving you that emotional payoff. There wasn't as much um, real growth or contribution. You were kind of showing up. And I used to feel like this too, like I'm just going to put on the show right? And go put on my fancy clothes and go dance and, and, you know, and then pass out the hat. And, and, and uh, it always comes back to a belief that why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be this other way? Why can't I really teach what I, what I want? Because when you realize you can, that gives you the passion and the passion allows you to, to have the consistency and passion and consistency are really the secret sauce. So, so now you're teaching people prosperity and, you know, whenever you have a hope or a dream, you also have the resistance that shows up immediately as well. So when you're working with people and you're trying to help them create this prosperity mindset, what's some of the resistance that comes up that you see and how do you help them get through it? The resistance that comes up are the negative memes that they're programmed with. Mm -hmm. And by memes, I mean mind viruses. Because mm -hmm. when you say meme today, people think it's a picture of a toothless dog on Instagram. Right. But right. they've kind of hijacked the term. The actual definition of meme was first coined by Dr. Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene. And the meme is a mind virus. And they would make up the science of memetics. So I've been fascinated with this topic. I wrote an entire book just about mimetics and, and mind viruses. Um, title's a little cheeky. Uh, bear with me. I live a couple blocks away from a, um, a fire station, but it's such a gorgeous day. They were throwing you a parade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this book was, is titled Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broke. 
and how to get smart, healthy, and rich. Brilliant. So probably not the most uh, uh, inclusive prosperity consciousness title, but that's where I was at at the moment. It grabs your attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the idea, but I could have probably done that in a, in a higher consciousness sort of way. And that comes but with the, <laughs> I mean, I have studied all the way back. You go back to mythology, Joseph Campbell, go back to Puccini operas from a couple hundred years ago, go back to the television shows in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, whatever your generation is, I can go back and look at your, you know, so you tell me you're a baby boomer. I say, okay, so the big shows were the Beverly Hillbillies. Gilligan's Island, you know, how were wealthy people portrayed in the Beverly Hillbillies? How were wealthy people portrayed in uh, Gilligan's Island? You know, if we went to the 70s and then it was MASH, you know, wasn't there always one rich guy in the tent, Charles Winchester III, who listened to opera and shifted brandy and smoked cigars? And then we had Hawkeye and Pierce who were the good guys and, you know what I mean? Every Doogie, Hauser, House, Dallas, Dynasty, Beverly Hills, you know, Melrose Place, whatever your generation is. And I could do the same thing with movies. I can do the same thing with books, with plays, with operas. And you see these basic foundational memes of money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor, or it's noble to be poor. To be a good entrepreneur, you've got to be a horrific parent. To be a successful company, you need to rape and pillage and plunder the environment and, and exploit the little people. These are just pervasive, insidious memes, millions of which are circulating in the world at all the time. And you're programmed with those. So what, and now, and that's one chunk, right? All, well, I'm going to call all that TV, radio, social media, the internet, newspapers, magazines, blogs, let's call that bucket one. And that's the data sphere. So 99% of all the programming from bucket one is all those bad memes, right? Bucket two is governments governments need you to be needy right so we need that so here we are in the u.s we're in the middle of a presidential election and bernie says you know or let's whoever says community college has to be free and then bernie's going to say well all colleges have to be free and then someone has to say well all colleges have to be free and healthcare has to be free and then the next one is okay all colleges healthcare, uh and prescription drugs and then the next guy's got to do HBO and Showtime, free for everybody, right? At some point, governments need you to need them. If you don't need them, you're, they can't get your vote. Pretty much all the governments around the world who are not already dictatorships, right? Mm -hmm. They're two-party systems. So you have a party in power, and they desperately want to stay in power. Not because they're bad people, they're evil. They, they believe in what they do, right? Here in the U.S., the Republicans believe in the principles of their party. The Democrats believe in the principles of their party. And when they're in power, they want to stay in power. And when they're not in power, they want to get in power and get the other party out of power. So how do they do that? More free cheese, right? So 
what so that's bucket two you're getting these very negative mind viruses about success and prosperity how wealth is actually created what's fair what's equitable and then the third part bucket or guilty party and perhaps the guiltiest is organized religion mm. and again i've spent 10 years studying all the major organized religions of the world and the amount of you know you're born a sorry sinner or you know you're you're not worthy and you've got to be reincarnated another 15 times before you're going to find enlightenment or you're not supposed to have happiness here you're supposed to get happiness in the afterlife so all those three things that's the issue that you brought up that's where we really go through where we get to when we answer your question which is worthiness issues yeah. people are self-sabotaging themselves because they don't believe they're worthy yeah that's an excellent answer and uh that's the thing that I've, you know, I've done 15,000 coaching sessions over the last 25 years. That's a lot of time walking around in people's unconscious minds. And the deepest fear always comes back to, I'm not enough because I'm not enough. I won't be loved. And then all the other fears follow that. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time just helping people to find their own worth and to own it and then recognize where their blind spots are so that they can upgrade them. And that's what it always comes back to. No matter we're talking about money or we're talking about advancing your career or we're talking about improving your relationships or whatever it is, it always comes back to feeling like we're enough and we're worthy and it's okay to feel good. So you know, People don't recognize how widespread that is, that it isn't just a money thing or a get a promotion at the job thing. When you have those kind of imposter syndrome issues, when you have those kind of worthiness issues, yeah. you will absolutely blow up your marriage or your relationship. When you have those kind of issues, you will absolutely mess up your children, mm -hmm. right? You will absolutely mess up your health, whether it's with alcohol, whether it's with drugs, whether it's self-medicating with food, whether it's foolish risk-taking, you'll find a way to, because it's, in my view, I feel like it's almost an inherent death wish that people, some people go closer to the edge than others, right? There are some people that just do absolutely crazy, fearless things that could kill them because they're really close and want to die because of the guilt and remorse they feel because they think they're an imposter. Most people aren't that way so they do the slow death by obesity and diabetes and heart attack that it take them 25 years you know it, if you just went into a fast food joint and you ordered a, a super triple burger and ate it and boom you died of a heart attack it would be more honest and people would okay so if you really want to commit suicide by obesity and heart attack just go in order that triple double you know whatever eat it and boom you're dead but it doesn't it takes 20 years of doing that so the people who aren't quite up to that line they'll do the 20-year plan or the 30-year plan with alcohol or drugs or food or whatever because they have that 
pervasive guilt. It's akin, it's not survivor's guilt, but it's akin to it in the sense that they just feel so guilty that they're taking up space on this earth when they know that everybody else in their church is a perfect child of God and adores the baby Jesus and they're a fraud. And when God finds out, he's going to be pissed, right? So, you know, or they just feel like, wow, I'm just, all my friends on Instagram, they're happy and they're going to Burning Man and they're in, in Ibiza and they got a new Lexus and um, they're with the family at Disney World and their lives are so perfect and my life is so messed up. They don't realize that's just BS, that social media world. That's not real. What people show you on their Instagram account or their Facebook feed, that's not what their life is like. That's the, that's the projection they want to convince you of. That, and that's what makes you feel, you're, you know, you watch TV and everybody in the sitcom is healthy and happy and they work out all the problems when they, before the 30 minutes is up. And you think, wow, I'm, I'm just not so kind and clever and compassionate and beautiful and they have perfect teeth and great sex and happy marriage and their kids are you know no that's make believe it is it is it so you know there's so much there you've really packed it all together and that's that's why people often struggle because some people feel like they're kind of you know unworthy you know and so we have guilt we have shame other people will protect their resentment and their anger because they think that somehow it's it's serving them or protecting them from getting hurt again uh but it always comes back down to our beliefs that we have. And the fastest way to create any kind of change is to have that, uh, you know, to find out what the beliefs are and then how do you change them? And that's the part that a lot of people don't talk about. You know, they say how you could be and how you should be, but they don't tell you how specifically to get there. So do you have an idea on how someone might break free from that guilt or that shame or that hidden death wish? And, and, uh, and start to believe in themselves more? Yeah, for me, the process is identifying those limiting beliefs and then eviscerating them. You gotta blow up the limiting beliefs and you gotta replace them with empowering beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, and the thing that shocks people when I say it, but as soon as they hear it, they understand it's the truth, is your core foundational beliefs about the important stuff were all done before you were 10 years old. Oh yeah. Right. Most, most people would say their belief about God or religion is an important foundational belief in their life, whether they're an atheist or they're a born again Christian or a fundamentalist, uh, uh, Muslim, whatever. Um, but you probably were programmed with that belief when you were four or five or six years old, going to the church, temple, mosque, synagogue, Sunday school, whatever. Most people would say sex, their belief about sex is probably pretty important, right? That was probably formed before they were 10 years old. Was sex something dirty? You do it in the, you know, with the lights off and, you know, naked, nudity is evil and, you know, all the programming emotionally charged uh, memes about sex and sexuality, right? We don't have to get into LGBTQ. And if you're one of those and all of the limiting and negative 
beliefs that are foisted upon you in that scenario, right? Well, that's all done before you're 10. Your belief about money, right? And money and success, that's done, you know, we don't have money for that stuff. Do you think money grows on trees? You know, the, I always give the examples when I'm, that book I wrote about the movies and the TV shows and everything. To me, the classic example is the first, the original Spider-Man movie, the first big blockbuster superhero uh, movie that really set the stage for all that have followed this. Uh, there's a scene, of course, Peter Parker is being, being raised by his aunt and uncle because, of course, he's an orphan. Now, of course, that's just a coincidence. He's an orphan. But isn't it funny that Batman was an orphan, Spider-Man was an orphan, Superman was an orphan, Harry Potter was an orphan, the boxcar kids were orphans, Wonder Woman was an orphan, you start to like, what, 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 what? And then you realize it's not some insidious plot from Hollywood. It's the mind viruses because the, the memes that travel the quickest are the ones that are the most emotional. And of course, what's more emotional than a little child without their mommy and their daddy, right? So what happens is the guy or the gal who's writing the book or the play or the opera or the movie they want to write one like their favorite movie when they're growing up. So they continue these, these mind viruses because what a, what a meme really does is it, it infects and parasitizes the host, causes you to replicate the mind virus. So that could be simple when you're, uh, you know, you hear the baby shark song and now it's in your head and then you're in the elevator and you hum it and now the other person in the elevator's got it that earworm and they're hearing it, right? That's memes, that's memetics. Yeah. Well, the same thing happens with this idea that money is bad, rich people are evil and so on. So, the, so poor Peter Parker, our little orphan, he's talking with his uncle who's raising him because he's good poor people who takes in an orphan because that's what good poor people do. Yeah. And he tells him in the movie, we may not be rich, but at least we're honest. Uh, yes, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So let's translate that into English. What does that really say? It says, well, all rich people are crooks. All rich people are dishonest. So you should be really happy that you're poor because that means you're a good person. You're a noble person. God loves you. You're going to go to heaven, you know, whatever the belief is. Yeah. Um, and so that's where this, so people don't understand that. Um, so again, you learn that before you're 10 relationships or marriage. If your if your mother and father were screaming and arguing all the time, you had a core foundational view of marriage before you were six. If your father was uh, cheating on your mother and that was a source of anxiety and angst and argument and how your view about marriage was set before you were 10. If your mother was abusive toward your father, your, your view on relationship, it was set when you were eight, nine, 10. So people don't recognize, and that's why I say they're always shocked when I say this, but then when they process it, they're like, wow. So I say, go back and look at what was your belief about money, marriage, success, health, God, religion, all of the important things that would really impact your life. 
and recognize for most people, you, you, that view was programmed into you before you were 10, and you've never questioned that core foundational belief. So for me, I was poor, I hated being poor, so I kept trying to do things to get rich. And I kept self-sabotaging myself because I had this core programming that said, Gage, you better stop doing this right now because if you keep on this path, you're gonna become one of those evil, mean, nasty, rich people. And then nobody will love you and you won't fit in and your friends won't like you anymore. And of course, nobody thinks that consciously. It's always unconscious. And uh, you know, probably the most insightful thing Sigmund Freud ever said was, if you don't make the unconscious conscious, you're gonna call it destiny or fate or you know, luck or whatever the case may be. Um, so to me, that's where it all starts. You gotta be willing to ask those penetrating questions. Okay, what is my core foundational belief about sex and sexuality? What is the core foundational belief about marriage and relationship? What is my core foundational belief about money and material things? What is my core, you know, and, and you go through that and you recognize, wow, that belief is not serving me. And when you do that, to me, that's 80% of the process. Because when you recognize one of those limiting beliefs and you bring it into the light, you bring it out of the unconscious into the conscious, that's when it loses its power over you. Mm. Yeah, the smallest candle flame chases away the darkest of dark. And I love how you said that. And I love the quote, too, from Freud about how uh, you, make the, you have to make the unconscious conscious or you'll call it destiny. And so uh, that's why we call them blind spots, because we're simply not aware of our internal programming. We think we're just going through life and trying to figure out how to, how to get through it. And so the fact that you just set up a real foundation for everybody that's listening, I mean, is pretty powerful stuff. I mean, this is a really powerful conversation uh, and you're giving some really amazing value, Randy, because if you could sit down, you would finish listening to this, um, this um, podcast episode and then you get out a piece of paper and you just start writing down the very questions that, that Randy asked you, right? So write down, what are your fundamental beliefs about marriage? How do you remember your mom and dad growing up? And, and what kind of beliefs did you take from that? It's not the situations you go through, it's the beliefs that come from it that are influencing you. And so if you can write down you know, those powerful questions about what do you believe about how sex is supposed to be or what it means to have money or what it means to be in a relationship or what it means to take care of your health or your body, and where did you get those ideas from originally, right? And like you said, you know, um, uh, we have our schemas or our life scripts by the time we're 10 years old uh, for how we're supposed to be. And, uh, and so as adults, hopefully our goal as we grow older is we take those beliefs and we start to upgrade them. But most people don't know that they have the ability to do that or they don't know what those beliefs are. And so at least you've given them the, uh, the questions they can start to ask themselves. And then if you get stuck, you know, reach out. That's the value of having a coach. That's the value of having somebody else that can give you ideas. Because sometimes, all right, now we have the questions and we have the ideas, but we still don't know how to blow them up. 
What's one way that you blow up a negative belief? Well, I always look at, okay, where will this belief take me? Does this belief serve me or not serve me? If a belief doesn't serve me, I'm going to take it off, just like I'm going to take off a jacket that doesn't fit me very well. I'm going to drop it on the ground, and I'm going to replace it with a jacket, or in this case, a belief that fits me. I want a good fit. So if I say, okay, this belief that money is evil and rich people are bad, where is this going to take me? And it's going to take me that I'm going to be 70 years old on Social Security, broke, uh, eating dog food because I can't afford McDonald's and die in a miserable death. Or, you know, maybe if I replace that belief and realize money could be really empowering for me and create freedom and security, <clears throat> then this belief that being a wealthy person would actually be a good thing. And <clears throat> I always just like to take it to its logical you know, conclusion. I'm a very rational, analytical, logical guy. Um, so I'm just going to look at where, if, if I accept that belief, where is it going to take me? That makes a lot of sense. So a lot of times people are like, all right, I, I realize that's not going to take me to a good place. And then the fear is, well, I don't know what to do instead. And the answer has already been given. Well, what would you want to believe? If you could believe anything and you can, what would you rather believe instead? And then if you had that new belief, where could that take you? What would be possible, right? So another way of doing it is, you know, what advice would you give a child or a best friend or somebody that you really love? You know, what might you say to them in that situation? Should you scare them to death? Should you tell them they're not worth it? Should you tell them to hold back so they don't get disappointed? Hopefully not, although people, <laughs> plenty of people out there do. They but do. Times, yeah, but a lot of times people will, will say, well, no, I wouldn't do that to somebody else but I would do it to myself. And then it starts to create these pattern interrupts. So, so you have all of these things. I can tell that you've been on quite a journey, right? You're going through life, you're analyzing, you're thinking about things, you're tearing it apart, right? Your hindsight is 2020. So you're doing reviews and then you shift your focus based on what you've learned to where you're headed. And then how can you feel peaceful in the present? So I know you've done all of that and you're still doing it. So, what is a good piece of advice that you would give to the little boy that you were being raised by that mom who probably taught you those selling skills, you know, that, that allowed you to have the foundation to uh, do what you've been doing. So what advice would you go back and tell that little guy that you once were from what you've learned so far? I would have, um, I would tell him about, gauging and measuring and guiding things by the superficial stuff isn't the answer. Mm. Um, I was always that shy, introverted, buck-tooth kid. Um, I, always, I wasn't the popular kid. I wasn't in the, the in crowd. Um, and I would let him know that, that, that stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, come on, guys. This is not what life is about. And I would also just, uh, the thing I really needed to learn earlier was not to become a victim, right? The, my mantra that you, you know, I say every day of my life is you can be a victim 
or you can be a victor, victor, you know, victor, or, but you can't be both. You have to choose which one. So the truth is we all have, because I just felt everything was, I was a victim of everything Mm -hmm. that, you know, the government, the economy, my crooked partners, my exes, whatever, these were all people who were messing up my life. I was just this poor, innocent guy who had all this bad stuff happen to me. Yeah. And fortunately, I, I had the gift of somebody who cared about me enough to ask me, hey, Randy, you know, what do you think you're doing that attracts all this stuff? Mm. And I was like, what? Yeah. What did he just ask? Does this yeah. SOB know? Didn't I just spend two hours regaling him with all the drama and trauma that's happened to me? all these evil, mean, nasty people who are doing these horrific things to me. And now he asked me that question, you know, how could he, but you know, that started me on this journey of, of introspection and recognizing, no, I I really have become a professional victim. And I surrounded myself with other professional victims and we would get together and commiserate with each other and, I'd say, you know, the power, the SOBs at the power company, they turn off my lights and, you know, the refrigerator was down and the ice cream melted and the meat went spoiled. And, and then my friend, you think that's bad? My landlord evicted me. I got the three-day notice. I'm sleeping on my sister's couch right now. And, and you know, and when they out-victim you, then you're really pissed off. Like if they've <laughs> got a better tragedy than you do, it's like, oh man, I, I I'm gonna need to go manifest a tumor or something to to one up this story, right? So you you know the the for me the question that changed it all was I asked myself I looked at my life and I had a very serious health challenges, eleven negative dysfunctional relationships in a row, business failure after business failure. And I finally asked the question, was there one person who was always at the scene of the crime? (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. So when I asked that question, um, now I didn't like the answer that I got, but that was the answer I needed to get. And that's when I recognized, okay, you can be a victim or you can be a victor but you can't be both. So which one's it going to be? Are you going to spend the rest of your life bitching and moaning and telling about how this happened to you and your ex did this and the economy did that and this business failed because of that crooked partner and this person ripped you off? And Or are you just going to take some personal responsibility for your life? Yeah. And it's really important for everybody watching and listening right now you may have the you may have just went to the default setting that I used to go to, which is okay, that's easy for him to say, but in my case, I really am a victim because I was born with no legs. I really am a victim because my parents really were killed by drunk drivers. Uh, you know, I just got a horrific you know leukemia diagnosis from my doctor uh, I just you know and that's the the danger there is you you accept victimhood and you live there and 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 you feel you're powerless uh 
I really, I'm actually literally this week that we're recording this, I'm doing a series on my blog at randygage.com about how we need challenges. Because if we don't have challenges, the, there's, there's no meaning in life. And you know, the, the, the person who has no challenges, no obstacles, they're the worst person off on earth because they have nothing that forces them to grow, to become, to strive for becoming more. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do recognize the, you know, I'm not one of these people who say, well, you manifest everything. So it, lightning striked your garage and blew up your car. You manifested that somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't go there. I really do recognize that there is stuff that happens to all of us that we don't like, that we didn't prepare for, that we didn't attract, right? There are random acts of circumstance that happens and children do get leukemia and people do get killed by drunk drivers and uh, volcanoes and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes actually harm people. And we don't control all of that stuff. So I recognize that. So, but please, my plea to everybody listening is, is recognize that although there are situations that we all face where we are the victim of circumstance, the vast majority of our life, we have a massive amount of control over. Mm-hmm. And even the things we don't control, we get to control how we respond to them and say, okay, what is the lesson I can learn from this? What is the good that can come from this? And um, that's choosing to be a victor instead of becoming a victim. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, Yeah, that's really good. You know, there's pain is inevitable. If you're alive, you're going to experience pain. But so much of the suffering that we have is optional. And we can take a look at the situation and decide how we're going to interpret it. And that changes how we feel about it. And I heard, um, I was working with a sports team and there was a coach there and he said in life, there's winners and learners. And as long as you're doing one or the other, you're going to be okay. And so I really thought that was, that was powerful. So, all right. So you have, so everybody that's listening, definitely head over to randygage.com, check out his blog, buy his books, and uh, you love, if you love the messages, then the wisdom that he's been sharing, like I have, uh, then get over there and grab a copy of his book and dive into it or subscribe to his newsletter and, or follow him on social media. I'll make sure I have all the notes and uh, randygage.com in the uh, show notes for our program as well. So as you move forward, is there anything in particular that you'd like to experience over the next, you know, two, three years or the next five years as you move forward? A lot. I mean, uh, you know, one of my visions right now is I want to start a foundation to teach the principles of entrepreneurship and prosperity to inner city youths at risk teens. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of, working around how to do that. I'm thinking I'm going to create an online learning platform about entrepreneurship and success. And then just when, when somebody buys a subscription, it will give two scholarships to kids in the inner city or something. 
it's not finalized, but that's kind of the, that's the vision I'm working toward right now, because I think that's where, that's what we have to do as a planet. We have to change consciousness and um, I'm really down on the education system. I don't think it's doing a, a, a adequate job at all of preparing kids for the future. I don't think society, uh, pop culture is preparing kids for the future. Uh, I was one of those kids, for people who don't know my story, I was in jail for armed robbery at 15 years old. Um, teenage alcoholic, teenage drug addict. Um, so I've been there and I would like to prevent other kids from having to go there. Um, so that's the kind of thing I'm looking forward to over the, uh, the next few years. I'm doing less travel, less seminars. I'm kind of jacking up my fees so that I'm really just doing the big events with thousands of people and that I really can make an impact. And the rest I'm trying to migrate over to online stuff. I also started a podcast like you're doing. It's uh, for anyone interested. It's called the Power Prosperity Podcast. Nice. Um, I'm a big believer that everything's going to voice and these voice assistants. So I think podcasts and voice stuff are really important mediums to be in right now to, to reach people. Um, so I'm kind of going deeper into that. And I'm always just looking for, you know, I've got another 20 books I want to write, but it's just a question of, you know, picking the priorities and saying, okay, what's the next step next? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Books are, you know, like birth and babies. It takes a while. There's always more creativity. It's the curse of the creative. There's always more ideas and more things that you want to share. And, and I love mm -hmm. the idea that, uh, I really love the idea of, of, uh, look into how can we take what we know and get it to our youth, right? And hope that that next generation coming up uh, is going to be the ones that learn from the mistakes that we've made. And, uh, and so, and even those uh, inner city kids, it's funny because they all, they all got a phone, <laughs> right? And so yeah. being able to access a portal or a membership or a training, uh, you know, and, and having that uh, is so powerful. You know, maybe hooking up with some people that are already serving that community and getting ideas from them. You know, so there's what we want to build, but then there's what they really need. And then getting that feedback and doing those collaborations uh, is really powerful. So I hope you stay with that because uh, all the wisdom that you have and they'll be able to connect with you and relate with you because you've been there. Right. You've gone through those experiences. And and it's so important for people to have role models uh, of those who have been through all those things. Every time you mentioned you know, um, a, a bad relationship or um, a failure in business or a partner that, that made poor choices and, you know, and then you look at what you have accomplished. That's what I want everybody to remember, right? Everybody's going to go through challenges. Everybody's going to have the resistance. Like you said, Randy, the resistance makes it worth it. You climb a hill, big deal. You climb a mountain, that's a pretty awesome achievement, but it's hard. And it will skin you up and it'll make you bleed and it'll make you doubt. But if you keep climbing, you get to the summit and then it was worth it. If someone drops you off on the top of the mountain with a helicopter, you probably aren't going to get down in one piece because you didn't build the muscle and become the person you were supposed to become as you climbed the mountain. And so all of the adversity that we go through is designed to help us grow into the people that we were going to be. So I'm super excited that, um, 
you know, for the projects that you have coming up and, uh, and for all the wonderful information that you've shared. So um, is there any, any final thoughts uh, you want to you wanna leave with as we, as we close this up? Well, if you, if you felt inspired by this, if you feel like, a, hey, I'm really at a, a place in my life where I really do need to make a change, make that change. Just make that decision and start with those questions that we discussed and be willing to forgive yourself that you made mistakes. We all did. You don't want to spend the rest of your life beating yourself up over it. Forgive yourself and give yourself a fresh start. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, this, is, this has been more of a workshop than an interview. I hope everybody uh, uh, goes back and listens to this a few more times and shares it with, share it with your spouse, share it with your friends, share it with the people that you care about because there's some real wisdom that's been dropped here. All the, the questions and the strategies and how you blow up the doubts, how do you find the doubts and the limiting beliefs, how you shift them, uh, forgiveness, right? Taking a, a, a big look at our global beliefs that we have, you know, I mean, it's really powerful stuff. So Randy, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed our time together and I appreciate you being on the program. All right, thanks for doing the show. Yeah, you're welcome. So, and everybody for the, that's listening, make sure you go check out Randy's program. Go to randycage.com and, uh, and read his blog, subscribe to his stuff, get his books, and then uh, and really go back and listen to those questions, write them down, and do the work, and you'll be glad you did. And you know what? It might just make your life mesmerizing. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Hey, would you like more free tips on how to be a mesmerizing leader? Then check out mesmerizingleadership.com and also hang out with me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Tim Sure. Thanks so much and make your day a sure success. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.